So how do you like this for a reinvention story? At 17, you leave school, you move to LA with no education or life skills, and you start your first reinvention, which is being a self-medicated druggie on the streets of LA. I'm just gonna stop there and tell you that from there, it only goes up. This is a wonderful story of Stephanie Raffalock, who is now an author and writer and went back at in her at 35 years old. She was a freshman in college and also getting her GED from high school. And then she wrote her first short story and won several awards from a group of colleges. So it goes from there and she's reinvented herself several times after that. And I have to say that I can't imagine that kind of start and moving on to where she is today. And when you get to know Stephanie, it's really kind of amazing. At 63, she wrote her first book and it's called The Delightful Little Book on Aging. And she now has a book on its way out called Creatrix Rising which is a series of stories about women making things and the whole idea of women making things from art to gardens to politics, all those things now. So I have to tell you, this is a wonderful story of many reinventions and I'm really delighted to have Stephanie Raffalock here. So welcome, Stephanie. So glad to have you here. I want to talk about your multiple reinventions. <laughs> I think reinventions do happen to us more than once. And thank God, because reinvention to me means awakening. And mm -hmm. we awaken again and again and again in our lives and give mm -hmm. ourselves to that. Yeah, that's great. Yep. So let's start. I always think there's a thread that pulls through your childhood. I often find that when we really dig deep, there's a lot of starter stuff, starter kiln, kill, you know, in the beginning. Yep. Kindle, Kindlewood. Um, so talk a little bit. Where did you grow up and um, were your parents reinventors or where did you come from? Well, my mother was definitely a reinventor and probably my greatest inspiration for doing the work that I do with women. Mm. But I was born in Carlsbad Caverns, New Mexico, where my father was the um, park naturalist in Carlsbad oh, wow. Caverns. And one of my earliest memories was going to hear him lecture at the end of the day. He stood at the mouth of this big cave and he would lecture. And then as if on cue, the bats would fly out. <laughs> and I was fascinated with that cave. And as I got older in life, I have returned to that cave metaphorically time and time again, because there's something about being in the cave, crawling out of the cave, that makes me think of women. So I imagine that in this cave that where my father used to speak, that there were women always dancing around a fire who always welcomed me back in and then sent me back into the world. Wow, this is interesting. This is totally different. <laughs> I'm glad I asked that question. Well, there you go. 
So what did you study when you were in school? And then um, how did you move that into your first reinvention? Well, my parents divorced when I was about four. So, and, and part of my mother's thing was to move us every year. She constantly reinvented herself because as a single woman in the 1950s, raising a child, she didn't have skills for anything really. Wow. Um, she became what was known as a skip tracer and she worked for bail bondsman. A skip tracer is somebody that, that tracks down the guy that skipped out on paying bail. Oh my God. (laughs) And, um, she gained a great deal of strength and courage there. And years later, she told me the story about, um, questionable people who would say to her, if there's anything you ever need that I can help you with let me know. And there was kind of a, a devious, dark tone to it. But that's where she started out. And we moved every year. So I was in a different school almost every year. And at 17, I left school. And I uh, moved to Los Angeles. My mother drove me and she left me there. And it was it was a rough time in our relationship. I think she'd gotten to a point where raising a kind of wild teenage daughter was a bit much from her. So there I was in Los Angeles at 17 with no education, no real life skills, and trying to figure out how I was going to do this. That was my first reinvention. Now, the first reinvention is you know, not necessarily a positive one. I reinvented myself as somebody who self-medicated. And it was the 60s and the 70s. And so drugs were plentiful. And now I was a druggie on the streets of Los Angeles at 17. But I reinvented again when I met someone that I lived with for a while and gave me some clues about how I had to do my life. I didn't work a job because it was a career. I worked a job because I would work at whatever I could get to um, pay the bills, to pay the rent. But somewhere in my 30s, I was so fascinated with writing. I was actually working at um, at a studio, Orion Television, and I loved the writers the best. They were the most interesting. But that was their world. That wasn't meant for me because I wasn't smart enough and I didn't have an education. And if anyone ever found that out, I would certainly lose my job. But I kept following and I would read every script that crossed my desk. And I started to what get- What was your sense. job, Steph? Sorry to I worked you there. For, what were you doing? That's okay. I was uh, working as a secretary and that's what we were called then. We weren't called assistants. I was working as a secretary for the vice president who then became the president of Orion. And I read every script that crossed my desk. I left Orion in my mid thirties, deciding that I wanted to go to college. And it was a very, very brave move for me, probably the biggest of reinventions, because I became a 35-year-old college freshman at the local community college, Santa Monica Community College. And during that time, I also went to a night class where I earned my GED, which stands for general education degree, which was going to replace the fact that I didn't have a high school diploma. While I was at Santa Monica College, I wrote my first short story. It was called Piano Bar Blues, and it was about a woman touring Canada, going around playing the piano and sort of looking for what she was supposed to do in life. And that story won an award throughout a series of colleges um, that other people had submitted their short story to. And it was such a boon for me that I had done something right, that I wasn't 
a screw up, that I had won this award and I maybe even had some talent for writing. So that began the quest of my writing journey. And when I left Santa Monica College, I went to a small, funky, Buddhist-inspired college in Boulder, Colorado called Naropa, where I studied creative writing and poetics. When I left Naropa with my degree in creative writing and poetics, the first person I interviewed for a newspaper was Allen Ginsberg. And I felt like, oh, this is for me. But you know, then life intervenes, right? So life intervened for me with a marriage and this wonderful, wonderful man in my life who is still my biggest fan and cheerleader. And suddenly it was like we had a business to take care of and we had a mortgage to take care of. And so writing took a back seat. And I was once again, like the kid at Orion, I was kind of a closet writer. But my husband said to me, there will come a time in our lives and our business where you'll just be able to write. And that day came and it came when I was 63 and I left the work that I was doing and I began to study in earnest. And that was another reinvention because that's where my writing journey really, really began and resulted in some few years later, a first book and now a second book. Talk about the books and what they're about. That's incredible. First of all, congratulations to you. you. That's a, what a story. Incredible. You, you know, and I think there are a lot of mothers listening to, you know, who have kids who are struggling with addiction, um, wondering, you know, can we get through this? Are they going to make anything of themselves? And it sounds like you figured it out all on your own. Well, I think that part of what helped me figure it out was story. So the first story I told in my first book was called A Delightful Little Book on Aging. And it was just kind of a, it was meant as a gift book. It was meant as something that said, it's not as bad as you think it is. There's actually some delight. There's actual some, actually some goodies in aging. When I wrote that book, I learned something about myself. I learned that my wisdom was never going to be found in the polite places in the world. My wisdom was going to be found in the gritty, painful stuff of life. And that kind of set me free to tell my story and to encourage other women to tell their story. That um, courage in our life, resilience in our life, doesn't look like a superhero. It's not gold wristbands and a gold breastplate. It looks like baby barf on your shoulder and skin knees. So a delightful little book on aging was a treatise on growing older with some grace and some goodness and knowing that we always change, we always reinvent, we have the power to reinvent ourselves psychologically and spiritually until the day we die. Then so come, what, go ahead, keep going. Go ahead. Never well, the second book. Are you telling me to hold on or are you? No, 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 just keep going. Sorry, okay. I, was, I didn't know if you had more there. So keep okay, going. Well, the second book is called Creatrix Rising, Unlocking the Power of Midlife Women. And it is in a fairly new genre, which we call um, self-help memoir. And it's my story. It's a, it's a series of stories about my relationship with my mother, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, who I never met, but nonetheless have a relationship with. It's the story of reinventing myself and learning to find my voice and learning to find the courage to stand in the light of my truth and speak that voice. And I think this is this kind of story, this unfolding 
of the creatrix is what's happening to midlife women everywhere in our culture. I think there is a big collective um, consciousness shift that's going on in our world. And creatrix, by the way, comes from the three Greek fates. There was the spinner, the weaver, and the cutter. And the weaver was the creatrix. And the word literally means a woman who makes things. And that's what I see in our world today. Women making things. They're making art. They're making business. They're making politics. They're making gardens. We are, we are rising into ourselves um, with a kind of, of courage and confidence that we haven't had before, and it is hard won and well-earned. So those are the two books. And what are you seeing today that's different, say, than when your mother was getting older? Um, oh what is the, yeah, I mean, it's like, geez, but let's spell it out because. Spell it out. I, okay. yeah. Let's start, like, let's start when we all kind of came of, of age. Um, you know, I came of age in my 20s, and in my 20s, um, I couldn't get a credit card or bank loan without the signature of a husband or a male relative. That didn't change until the 1974 Fair Credit Act. Um, a woman working a, a job in my mother's generation, if she had little kids, it was ground for firing. We don't need to hire you. You've got little kids. What if you have to go pick them up at school or something? Um, sometimes places weren't rented to women of my mother's generation because, you know, single woman divorcee, all of that. I mean, there was a lot of baggage with that. But if we fast forward to present day, just in the last few years, what I've seen happening in our culture is astounding to me. We started with the Women's March of 2017, where women really unified together. We're not going to be the butt of anybody's joke. The second thing that happened was that in 2018, more women over the age of 50 ran for political office at a local, state, and national level than ever before in our country's history. And the third thing that happened was Harvey Weinstein and hashtag Me Too. And suddenly that dirty little secret that millions and millions of women carried around with them now had a voice. It had a, a form. And all you had to say was hashtag me too. And we found out that none of us are ever as alone as we think we are. So that's what I see. This mm -hmm. time of arising, this time of, um, of really coming into our own. It's an extraordinary moment. Yeah. And do, you, and do you think it's particular to, I mean, how does COVID play into that stuff? Oh, my gosh. Well, COVID plays into it, I guess, because, you know, we've all dealt with some isolation in this past year. And in that isolation, I think we have had an opportunity to come to know ourselves more deeply. I am a believer in the, um, the adage that self-knowledge reveals all things. And COVID, I, I think, changed a lot of people's lives. We found out it's like we can get as much done work-wise at home as we could in going to an office. Maybe we, not everybody needs to make the commute every day. Um, I think that we found out things about our family. We had lived in this house for maybe a year and a half when COVID happened. And I have a neighbor across the street that they have two little girls. I had never seen the family together until COVID. And suddenly they were all taking walks together every morning. They were out in the courtyard, you know, playing softball. And so I think that COVID changed a lot of our lives, some for the better and, and some for the worse. I, I despair that um, not everybody wants to get vaccinated now. 
I understand that people have real concerns and real fears. And I also know that vaccinating your way out of a pandemic probably wasn't our best game plan, but it's our only game plan. So I'm hoping that people pay attention to that and that women who are the caregivers are the leaders in that. And what do you think about reinvention that stands in the way of the women like us who are listening to this, who are thinking, okay, and I think I think for a lot of people, I do think the pandemic changed what they want to do, changed their direction. Some of them want to go back to school. I am not surprised um, that a lot of, especially women, don't want to go back to what they were doing. They just couldn't get off the, the hamster wheel. Right. And now they have a moment to do that. So if for the women who are thinking that this is their moment to reinvent, what would you say to them? And what are, you know, what have you learned about reinvention? You've done it so many times. Well, what are I, your, your I, insights? I think that for women now, the, the first thing to look at is what is it that you want to reclaim? Because, you know, we grow up, we get married and, our lives become hopefully about responsibility and obligation. But sometimes in order to be responsible and to be obligated, we cast things aside that we really love, that really nourished our hearts. So reclamation is a way of pulling that back into ourselves. Like, did you give up music to raise a family? Did you give up art? Did you give up something that your parents said, well, that's really nice what you made, but you, you can't make a living doing that. So I think the first place to look is, have you given up something that you would like to reclaim? And then I think the second place to look is, what is your personal story? And this is something that I'm passionate about, is that there's a point where your quest begins, and maybe it begins before you even recognize it. Like, it isn't necessarily conscious that you, you say, okay, I'm on a quest to reinvent myself. Maybe that's been going on for years, but now you're just becoming aware of it. And so how does, how, what does that story look like? All classical story has an arc. It has a beginning point. It has a point where the quest begins, which is where the hero goes out to attain a goal in life, whether it's, you know, the Holy Grail or bringing back the moon or, or something. But it also has an inward goal. If I go out there and I get the Holy Grail, which I believe I can get, then what has to change within myself? Who do I have to become in order to do that? I'm a big proponent of writing. Write down your story, even if it's just bullet points. You don't have to be a writer to do it. But sometimes when you see the words reflecting back to you from the page, it can give you clues about your life. It's like you pose the question consciously, and then you have to sit back and reflect. Let, let the psyche do its work and reveal to you what it is this next reinvention is going to be. I hope that made sense. Yeah. What do you think stands in the way? I mean, do you think that, I mean, of course, we know the naysayers, we know not having enough money or not putting away money um, so that you can spend time reinventing. Well, I think, yeah, go ahead. Well, certainly any reinvention, there is some risk involved. Like you said, the naysayers, do you have the, the resources to do it? But I think that all of those things can be worked out. First of all, the naysayers, you just have to, there has to be a way to ignore them. 
Um, it's your life, not theirs. You're doing this for you, not for someone else. And risk, risk is a courageous thing, you know, risk and vulnerability, but that's what it takes to be a strong, authentic world woman in today's world. So maybe what stands in the way is, is your politeness. You know, I, I don't want to take a risk. I need to do this the polite way, the way my mother would do it or the way my grandmother would do it. But you don't. You just need to do it the way you need to do it. And risk, I don't know, it, it, it connotes not being afraid to seem broken or clueless and just pushing forward anyway. It's the pushing forward that gets us there. And then you can sit back and give yourself a round of applause because in spite of naysayers, in spite of resources, in spite of what people said, you still found a way. And I believe there's always a way. What do you say to the people? I hear a lot from women our age who say, I used to be very confident when I was in my 20s. And I seem to have lost that same confidence now. And I don't know why. What do you, do you have a sense of that? Have you found that from anybody? Um, And how do they get over that? I don't think I was confident in my 20s now. I probably did at the time, thought I was confident. I just thought I was, I think I was just cocky. But confidence is something else. You know, confidence comes from hard work and trying something and failing at it and then trying again. That's where confidence comes from. It's not just a state of consciousness. It's not just a state of mind. It is, it's the hard work behind the state of mind. The fact that you're working at something that you really want to do. The fact that you're trying to find something that you really would love to do. Um, that's, confidence is earned. It, it, it's not bestowed. Talk a little bit about writing in particular, because there are an awful lot of would-be writers um, who are in my purview, because that's what I did. Um, so uh, definitely people here at different stages. There's some people who want to write professionally. There's some people who just want to write for themselves. What do you recommend for them if they want to do something professionally? Because that has been the big problem. There are, and sometimes I believe that people may have just one story to tell and that's enough. I mean, there's some incredible, you know, you may not want to be a full-time writer, but you may have that one book inside you. Did you, um, did you get yourself an agent? Did you do it yourself? How did you go from where you were to being a published writer? I started out by studying a lot. I did workshops. Um, I did, weekend classes. I did whatever I could do to study the form. If you want to write essays, study the form. If you want to write a novel, study the form. If you want to write memoir, study the form. And I started out thinking that I wanted to be a novelist. And so I wrote stories. I made up stories. And I got a literary agent fairly early on, just through the process of of shopping. You go to writers' concert, uh, conferences, there's a, a place where you can pitch agents 
um, sometimes you have friends that know agents that will pass along a manuscript for you. But I did get an agent early on and I, I was her little darling until I wasn't. Um, and I, I, I was no longer her little darling once my novel did not sell. And I had the experience of being turned down by 35 different publishers. Now that could have been the end of it, but I decided I needed to keep going. And I began to ask myself the question, if the novel was really my format. I think when you're, you want to start writing, it's important to write everything and find out what your wheelhouse is. Write stories, but also write essays. Write memoir-esque type of things, but also just create from your imagination and your intuition. So study, write everything, find your wheelhouse. An agent is a good way to go. And there are publishers that list online at certain times a year that will take submissions. And that's how I got published. So, um, and you can self-publish. Self-publishing has more credibility today than it did even 10 years ago because there are writers doing it and they're selling books. So I think that there's a lot of different ways to approach it. You don't always have to write a book. You can write right. for a local newspaper. I wrote for a no local newspaper when I was in Oregon. I did it just for the sense of deadline. It's <laughs> like, can you crank it out and turn it in? And move on to the next thing, you know, and it was a great learning experience. It's a great learning. I'll tell you, my learning to write copy in a newspaper deadline will serve you your whole life long for anything. Yes. It's incredible. So what kind of, where do you find these writers groups and things like that? Do you just go online and Google writers groups? Do you have you any can. place to look? Yeah. I mean, you can, you can go on and look in your state, you know, look oh. if you in Oregon. If you look, if you live in Colorado, there are writing groups all over the country and most of them have a yearly conference. Now, some of those conferences have been moved to online, right. but you can still find those things. And uh, they're a great resource for um, education without it costing an arm and a leg. They're a great resource for conference, which allows you exposure to other writers and to teachers and also to agents who, that you can pitch. It's a great experience to go pitch a book to someone. You've got like three minutes, two minutes to sell your story. And writing conferences exist everywhere, especially in the summer months. So yes, use the Google machine. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. Yeah. Cause so, and what have you heard about self-publishing? Cause I always tell people, if you can't find the agent, go that direction first, build your audience. Yes, it's harder, but build your audience and they will take notice or you can go with that information to show you actually have saleability. There are... There are so many ways to self-publish now. I mean, Amazon has a platform on which you can self-publish and they'll do print on demand so you don't have to invest in like a thousand books or something. Um, there are other organizations out there. Book Baby, I think, has a kind of a hybrid type of publishing where you pay a fee up front, they publish the book for you, and then they also have some, um, some distribution. She Writes Press does that. It's a hybrid model of paying money up front. And essentially what you're paying for um, is you have skin in the game in terms of owning, physically owning some of your books, but you're also paying for a distribution that's 
as wide reaching as any distribution that Simon and Schuster has. So there are a lot of options for self-publishing, hybrid publishing, what we call traditional publishing available to one. And it's just a matter of if it's what you really want, go after it and don't be afraid to cold call. If, you know, we talked earlier about building confidence. I used to be confident and now I'm not. Well, there's nothing like doing cold calling to really get you confident and really get you to know your material enough that you can pitch it to a publisher, to a hybrid publisher, to an agent, to whoever. You, does anybody, you don't call code cold call publishers, right? You're talking about Agents, you can, but, it, you can? but I think it's more like a cold, um, cold email than a oh. cold, call. <laughs> okay. cold okay. email, cold and email. Like, okay. And it's like, how succinct can you be in an email? Because yeah. I'll tell you, somebody's not going to want to read a page and a half. I, it was, um, Steve jobs. I think that said that if an email was more than two to three sentences, he didn't bother reading it. Sure. And in one regard, I think, you know, there's some arrogance in that, but in another regard, it's like, know what you want to say. Mm-hmm. And be succinct. Everybody's busy, especially the people that you're reaching out to. Oh, um, yeah. But nothing ventured, nothing gained. Right. It. Right. Any other tips or tricks um, for especially for older women? Have you found an, an advantage to being older? Well, I'm a, I'm a little less hard on myself in my older years. I, I feel like I've made a big journey in my life. Um, I also am willing to, to sit back a bit and let my, my writing talent speak for itself rather be, than being eager to be the first person to talk in a room. Um, that's a, kind, a quiet kind of confidence that I think I've gotten as I've grown older. Um, and just being older in general, I mean you can help a lot of people around you. You can help a lot of young women around you. Just remember how clueless you were in your 20s and 30s. And now you're at this stage where you can help uplift someone else. And I think that's one of the great, great gifts of of being older. I I teach a class now, a personal development class at Dress for Success Austin. Um, We're doing a webinar on the power of knowing your own story. And I'm working with women who aren't writers, but we're still going to get in there and find out what our story is and and delineate the difference between story and self-talk because it's the self-talk that gets us into trouble and the story, our personal story that reveals to us just how courageous and strong and beautiful and wonderful we really are as human beings. And I couldn't do that. I could not teach that class if I wasn't almost 70. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I like the idea of the quiet confidence. And I think you're right. I think as you get older, you definitely get that. I don't need to be front and center. Yeah. I'm very comfortable with sitting in, you know, midway. I'm still, I still like to, you know, to absorb everything. So I wouldn't sit in the back of the class, but um, I don't have to be on stage all the time. I'm, I'm very happy learning from other people, but I think you're right also is, once I always say this to anybody who's feeling depressed or down or whatever, I tell them, you just get out there and start giving. And once you start giving of yourself, everything changes. Yes. Being able to and be it, in service to someone else, I, I think it changes your whole perception. Yeah. Like no matter how, if you're just, if, once you get out of your own skin, things, good things happen. And I think that's important. 
Well said. Anything else that you wanted to impart to our readers well, here, our I listeners? Will, I'll impart to you that my book publishes on August the 24th. And I would love for you to get a copy of Creatrix Rising and then visit me at my website and tell me what you think and start a dialogue with me. I answer all my emails and uh, you can find me at byline dot or byline dash. I'm sorry, byline dash Stephanie.com. Cool. Stephanie, thank you so much. Awesome. Leslie, thanks for having me. I really had a good time. So thank you so much for listening. I hope that if you enjoyed this conversation with Stephanie, you will give us some stars and also leave us a comment. Love to hear what you think about the women we speak to about reinvention. Does this inspire you? How does it make you feel? And also, if you want more reinvention, come on over to cuffyclub.com. That is what we're all about. As I like to say, we can't tell you what your reinvention should be but we can hold a space for you while you figure it out. And that's really what The Nest is all about. Covey's a group of birds, and The Nest is a place that we hold for you, and we surround you with really intelligent, brilliant women like Stephanie. We teach, we do the podcast, we do live events, and we do virtual events, and everything, you know, we have all kinds of coaching, things like that to put in front of you all the services and possibilities of who you want to be, where you want to be, and where you want to go. And that's the mission of Covey Club. And a lot of women come to Covey Club because they don't know what they want to do next. And they figure it out while they're with us. And they don't leave because they stay because they've made so many deep friendships. So I hope that you will come join us. And I also have a wonderful little freebie called 31 badass tips and tricks for launching your reinvention without fear, which is my list of the best things I've learned really over the last 10 years about reinventing. And I hope that will get you started. Even if you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, that little download will get you started. So come on over, visit us, and also pass this uh, podcast along to anybody you know who needs to reinvent or is in the process of it. Because once you've listened to 150 women tell you all the ways in which they reinvent, it becomes very clear. We can all reinvent. It's a lot about a mindset. So take care till next time and come on over to Cubby Club.